Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAF, the Strength and Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. My name is David Rosales, and today on episode 8 of our SCAF alumni series and episode 106 of the podcast, I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Batenza, along with Doug McKenney. Since 2018, Coach McKenney has been with the Indianapolis Colts in an applied sports science conditioning position. He's the founding coach of Coach Me Plus, a very popular athlete management system, which I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with. And he also had a very lengthy career as an NHL strength conditioning coach. He was with the Buffalo Sabres from 1995 all the way to 2015. It's over 20 years. Uh, he was with the Hartford Whalers from 1989 to 1995 and the Pittsburgh Penguins from 1985 to 1989. In this episode, as has been the pattern in these alumni series episodes, we get some great stories from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, all the way up to the present day. But along the way with the stories, Coach McKenney gives us really a masterclass in all things recovery, hydration, sleep, nutrition, all these aspects that are we know are very important for athletes' performance, but sometimes getting that buy-in from the players is the hard part. And Coach McKenney explains how he quantified that data and, and how he worked with each of the players to get buy-in with things like hydration. So without further ado, here is Mike Potenza and Doug McKenney. Doug, welcome to the Hockey String Podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm joined with, of course, Mike again. This is, I don't even know what episode. I think episode eight of our SCAF alumni series. So we're in a nice little groove here. Doug, I want to start going back all the way to the start of your NHL strength and conditioning career. Your first season was in 1985 with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And at that time, Mario Lemieux was 19. This is age 19 season. And I just looked up their stats. He had 140 points. So first, what was it like to get that job? What was that process for you as a really young strength coach? And then what was it like stepping into that locker room? Oh, um, let me tell you, first off, uh, we're all blessed. I mean, to, to be able to be in, the, in, in pro sports and be able to work with, you know, all the athletes, not just the stars, uh, not, not just the guys that have had, you know, a great deal of success in the game and everything, but, the blessing is that you, you build these relationships and you get to know them as people. And um, in some degrees, not, not certainly not with everybody, you know, you almost end up kind of mentoring um, and helping them with, you know, a lot of different things. You know, it's, it's funny, it, the relationships, you know, they're not just with regard to, you know, making them stronger or fitter or faster or, you know, it's, it, it also gets deeper than that. And it's, it's a lot deeper with regard to their personal health and their well-being, um, their relationships, their family relationships, and so on, so on. But, uh, you know, that, that year was crazy for me. I just finished getting my, my uh, undergraduate, uh, my graduate degree. And I was in the deep south. I was in Mississippi, uh, 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 Mississippi State University. And I got that diploma on that very same day. I got in my little Toyota Starlet, which was the size of a Beetle, and drove to um, James Madison University and had an interview there. And then, you know, I, uh, I took a detour um, to uh, Pittsburgh to visit a friend, Rusty Jones, my, my closest friend. And he had been working with the Pittsburgh Maulers of the, the US, USFL, United States Football League which only lasted a year or two or three. I can't remember. At any rate, that was my introduction. And I, I was actually on my way to uh, another interview. And 
uh, Rusty called me and said, you got to come back here. They want to talk to you about, you know, being the Penguin strength coach. I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I got a, I got a meeting with, uh, and it just so happens another Springfield guy um, at the at UMass, uh, Spags, uh, Steve Spagnola was at UMass uh, coaching with, uh, uh, I can't remember who it was at that time. And uh, he goes, are you crazy? You, you, they're offering you, they might offer you a job in the, the NHL. And I said, yeah, you're right. And I jumped in the car and drove back to Pittsburgh. Now that, that first year was really, really difficult, really difficult. I had a hard time. You know, I thought my middle name was, uh, you know, I won't say it, but you know, they, they told me to get off a lot of times, you know, I mean, really get off, you know, like I'd say, okay, let's go, let's, let's stretch, you know, and, you know, they just, they'd be at their lockers and they'd be lounging around and not, not, a, not a movement, you know, not a movement. They were still sipping coffee, you know, and, um, you know, so it took me, I wasn't used to that because, you know, at the collegiate level, you know, when somebody said, okay, let's go. And you, I mean, you lined up or you got in a circle, you got whatever you got, you got ready and you, you began the process. But part of the issue was in, in 85 was the exposure wasn't great to a lot of things that we were doing, you know, um, in infancy, it was really infancy with regard to uh, a lot of things that happen in normal circumstances in today's um, sports. And even if you take that, now, it's a long, long time ago, but, you know, they weren't exposed to, you know, static stretching or dynamic active warmups or, you know, they, they had done it. I'm, I'm certain they did calisthenics and different things. And that, that sounds kind of funny, but that was, you know, that was the rhythm of things. And remember at that time we did have college athletes. We only had a few though. It wasn't, it wasn't a large number of college athletes on our NHL rosters. Uh, they were mostly, Canadian and some in a mixture of U.S. and um, European, and the exposure um, that I'm talking about um, with these uh, Canadian players, mostly Canadian players, they went to junior hockey and they didn't have any strength and conditioning coaches in junior hockey in the '80s. Uh, and if they did, you know, it was limited by number. You know, it just wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't there, and so. What I had, what I was up against was, you know, getting them to understand uh, the real value to um, pre preparation, total preparation, and getting habitually in a in a place where, you know, they're reducing their chance for injury, but at the same time, you know, they're they're going to improve their performance going forward. So, you know, that first year was uh, was really tough. But I, what I found was um, where I spent. A great deal of time, and I, I can credit Rusty for this because you know Rusty was. Um, we grew up together, not far, not next town over. Both Springfield guys, um, and I was one of his guinea pigs, so to speak, with uh, strength and conditioning programs and designs, implementations of things. And but a lot of people don't know this about Rusty. He he actually was the developer and designer of one of the very first computer nutritional programs it was called anjon and um so it was nothing like dine healthy or um you know a bunch of the computer programs that actually made it you know um this nutrition program is all based on numbers if you if you put in banana you know 206 it would give you all the macronutrients and micronutrients of the banana 
Um, well, I started on that. That's where I started. So one of the things that I found out was that where I could help most of the players, almost all of the players, was in the area of nutrition. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have a clue, you know. Um, a lot of them were always in a state of glycogen depletion, dehydration. Um, so that was an area that I thought really helped me to get to know the culture of hockey, um, get to know the, the players and, and, and how they, you know, um, come in into the, uh, into the rink every day. And that way I could actually talk to them. If I was trying to talk to them about, you know, strength and conditioning outside of nutrition or, you know, um, that sort of thing, then I, I would have even had a more difficult time. So the nutrition was, and don't, don't get me wrong. I had my problems with nutrition too. I, I took the, I took the steaks off the uh, pregame meal thing and the ice cream. And did I take a hit? And I took a serious hit. Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I emptied all the refrigerators when I first got there before all the players there, I emptied them all out of root beer and, you know, uh, Mountain Dew and Coke. I took my hits, you know, I took my hits and I, um, it wasn't a great way to start in some respects, but on the other hand, um, you know, you have to, you have to set yourself in a place where um, your beliefs match up with what you're going to you know, educate on, you know. I like that coaching lesson of when you enter a new space and you don't have that, that buy-in yet, as we say, to kind of just pick one thing where you think you can have, get some immediate trust. And I like how you just let's focus on nutrition. Like, let's not worry about speed and power right now. Like, let's just get them to like stop drinking soda. I love that. Yeah. That was a, that was a real benefit because had, had I not, had I not gone somewhere with it, I would have just been paddling, you know, I would have been paddling in the water in circles. Dougie, tell us about the, I, I always admired your, your early adoption of monitoring. Um, and it became with heart rate, right? We, I think we, you and I kind of hit it off on that typical particular metric because we had such great systems that we were both using at the same time. But but tell me about the evolution of monitoring for you with through the heart rate or, or any other piece that I may not know of or we may not know of with you. That's, that's and, a great question, Mike. And how it came to be and maybe set you up for all that's out there now and all that you're doing with the Colts and whatnot. So glad you asked that question. I just get to reach over and grab this. The first heart rate monitor I used was this size. It was like this right here. And it would sit in a harness uh, on, on the players. So it was, I don't know if you, for you context, for context yeah. for the listeners, this size, it's, it's about the size of an iPhone strapped to your chest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, that was the first one. I don't even remember the company, but, um, you know, to get those guys to put those on was one miserable, but more, more importantly, um, the data that I was getting, and remember, this wasn't on the ice. Um, it started on um, stationary bikes, which was another thing that I really, you know, uh, I, won't, I won't get off your, your question, Mike, but it was another thing that was really difficult was they didn't want to do anything except for bike, you know, to get them to run on a treadmill or to, you know, even consider, you know, uh, any other mode other than the bike was like, you know, they, they're looking at you like you had four eyes and, a, you know, a clown's hat on um but uh um that heart rate monitor 
um, was really helpful, again, to move to the next thing that I could, you know, try to teach and educate on and, and motivate. Um, so that was the first one. And then we moved into, remember, team systems didn't come into play until, uh, I'm going to say, in, you know, mid-90s. And it might even be later than that, um, because it started with that one. And it was mostly on stationary bikes. It was with players that were either um, scratched or injured coming back from um, from an injury. And so that's where it started. And uh, the guys, the guys would say, you know, mm -hmm. um, when they got hurt, you know, uh, oh, no, don't tell me we, I got to I got to wear this, you know, every day. And, but they actually got to appreciate knowing that, you know, there's a there's a similarity to what they're doing on the ice and you can catch up and you can, you know, you can, um, you can do that on the bike. So that's where, um, and again, Rusty was really helpful with a lot of things because he, um, he, he had begun to do some of the uh, things like minute minutes, 30 seconds with a minute 45 with a minute 15s. Um, and so um, what we were able to do was look at um you know, what it was costing them in terms of energy, but also heart rate response with 30 seconds with a minute and 45 seconds with, with 115 rest and start to understand METs and start to understand, um, you know, what's going on on the ice with these energy systems and, and, and so on. So uh, it moved to uh, a belt with a watch. And what I would do is I would stand at the gate. I got everybody uh, heart rate belts or uh, straps and we bought watches and we started off with about, I encouraged about, I think it was about 10 guys, eight to 10 guys to buy the watches because budget wise, there's no way I was getting it through. But I had shown them so much stuff in heart rate that I encouraged them to buy it. And if I remember correctly, it was pretty expensive for, you know, Guys, and back then in the in the eighties, the average salary was a hundred thousand. My first in my within my first and third year in in the NHL, the average player salary was a hundred thousand. That's unbelievable, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. So to encourage them, you know, I had to get them to to do this. Well, then once I started compiling data and showing things to these eight guys and everything else, now I could take this to the general manager and say, you know, can we, can we buy, you know, next year, can we put on the budget? Can we get, so I would stand at the, um, at the door uh, going onto the ice and I would turn the watches on because they, they had no idea and they didn't, they didn't want to have an idea. But what we did was we put these watches on the loop in their pants, you know, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an issue for them. They didn't really even know it was there. Only thing they had to do is put that belt on, that strap on, and then they go out. And then I had to be there at the end of practice so I could collect these watches because you're going to take this thing. There was a modem, and the modem was attached to my computer. And I take every watch and download that heart rate stuff into the computer, and then I do analysis. So you know, back then because there was no team program, your analysis would take hours. I mean, hours. Um, you would go through every, these eight guys. And then when it finally turned into, you know, 12 and 14 and we never really got, you know, full compliance at that point. But luckily enough, that turned into what's called team systems. And 
um, now you can you can simply uh, start the session and end the session, and all they have to do is have, you know, a, a heart rate belt. Um, and you know, this part of uh, this part of the development of the players um, has really been something that I've taken a true love for. And you know, of all the things in strength and conditioning, I think this is the one thing that. Um, I got so encouraged about being able to say, because I had, uh, and this happens, I'm sure Mike, it happened to you tons of times, you know, um, so-and-so is not in shape. And I'll give you, I'll give you a really good example. Um, Had a coach and, and I'll even use the player's name. I'm sure he he won't mind. Um, But um, Jeff Sanderson, really good goal scorer. And we had him in Hartford and um, um, coach said, you know, he's not in shape. He can't, he, he can't finish shift, you know, and I'd say, no, that's not true. He, he is in good shape. And I would, and I, and I, so I sat down with him and I showed him the heart rate curves. I showed him how fast he recovered from each shift, you know, in practice, each one of the drills and different things that we were doing, he had really good recoveries. And, and you guys know this, you know, it wasn't so much that he wasn't in shape. It was that he was so high in fast twitch fiber and that's not conducive to being a great oxidative guy, you know, you know, he, he, and they, they loved him because he'd come down that wing and take a slapper and score. That's when the goalies were terrible. Um, they didn't do the butterfly as much. They did a kick save, you know, anyway, the, the, uh, the, when I showed, when I showed him this, I said, you know, he's, he's a guy that's going to give you no more than 40 seconds. Don't expect him to be able to go more than 40 seconds. So you need to tell him, you know, get off the ice in 40 seconds. That's up the ice once and down the ice once, and then, you know, up to mid ice, get off, you know, and, um, and you'll have some guys like that, you know, obviously you've got some guys that, you know, have um, the ability to, there's, there's an anaerobic threshold there. They can, and they get, they get this lactate tolerance and they can handle and they can come back and, and finish a shift and still get off. But, and it is part training, but it's also physiology. And so in his case, it was more physiology because I knew that he was fit enough and I could show that to the coach, you know, he's, he's fit, you know, um, he just, just don't expect him to be able to get up and down the ice three times. It's not going to happen. Otherwise what you're doing is you're saying, let's change him and not make him as dynamic a skater as fast a skater and make him more fit. Cause then we'll change those fiber types that are changeable and, and make him into something that, Really, the reason why he scored 40 goals a year was because of his speed. Um, and another lesson, you know, along the way, it didn't make any difference whether it was in the first 10 years or the second 10 years or the last 10 years. You know, part of the thing that I always ran into, whether it be general managers, coaches, scouts, um, directors of player personnel, you know, um, their viewpoint of a player on the ice, they, when they find a weakness, you know, of course, we all want to know what that is, and we hope that our um, our testing kind of shows that, you know, and our evaluation of the players kind of shows that. But, you know, when you have a player and, you know, you want something more out of them, we as uh, strength coaches and sports performance people need to be able to say, yeah, that's doable or it's not doable. You have to You have to be able to do that, and you could do that with a lot of things that we're collecting today. Did that 
did you, your early kind of heart rate adventures and, and maybe among other things help you connect with coaches and management sooner or help you connect with them, you know, better or, or just even early in your career? Because ultimately that's, you know, you're also getting them to buy in in 1985 and 1990 into what we were doing as, as performance coaches, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's right. That's right, Mike. And, you know, um, there are a lot of stories, like it, even uh, go outside of the heart rate and come back to it. But, you know, they, we used to have to weigh guys in every single day. That was one of the things that, you know, back in 85 to 89, I, was, I weighed guys in every single day. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I developed uh, the hydration station for out of Coach Me Plus was, you know, it's a waste of my time to stand there at that scale and weigh guys in. And although that's a very important value for us because we wanted to know their level of hydration. Um, but the problem with that was, is that the coaches never understood that. Like, I would encourage a guy who had finished practice and weighing him out, he was down four pounds. And I would tell him, you need to drink this, 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 this. You need to make sure you get your three meals plus two snacks. And you go through this process of getting him hydrated and glycogen repleted. And, you know, um, I would be at the scale weighing him in the next day. Now he knew, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of one instance right now, you know, he knew that when he stepped on the scale, you know, I, I was, I wanted him to be one or two pounds above what he was the day before, you know, out of practice. And uh, cause we had talked about it. He had cramping issues. He had a lot of different things that were going on with him. Um, the coaches were being a little bit hard on him uh, because of his productivity on the ice. And, you know, here comes the assistant coach coming down as he's stepping on the scale. And of course he stops right there and he's peering over the, the scale and right away he goes too fat, too fat, you know? And of course that's really demoralizing for this kid who's really trying, you know? And I said, I won't say the coach's name. I said, this has got nothing to do with fat. This has got nothing to do with fat, you know? And so finished that way in and I'm just so sour I went right down to the coach's room and I said you can't do that you can't you can't do that you know these guys I'm trying to teach them about hydration hydration's got nothing to do with fat weight okay we're, what we're trying to do is make sure that they don't pulse you you asked me two weeks ago how come we got you know two uh, hip flexor strains you know and so uh, the the important thing about this is that as sports performance people, we, we have to be really good at coaching the coach. Um, if you're, if you think that you're going to get this done through the players, it's just not going to happen. Um, you have to have it. It works from top to bottom and it always will. And you, know, you have to have buy-in from them because if you don't, um, there'll be an exclusion of things that happen that don't allow um, the whole system to grow and get, get stronger. Um, and that includes the, the heart rate monitors, but it starts with even the little things like weigh-ins and weigh-outs. So, you know, that, that education that day in the coach's office was, let me do my job, which is this, um, and let me come back to you and explain everything. You know, if there's a guy that's fat, I'll tell you he's fat. If there's a guy that's, uh, you know, not in shape, I will tell you he's not in shape and he needs more time either on the ice or off the ice to do extra work. Um, in the case of, you know, heart rate stuff, um, 
Yeah, I'll give you an, another story. Um, it's when we really were far more uh, advanced in this. And I was actually, I, I had no idea what I was doing in terms of uh, terminology, okay? I just knew what I was doing, you know, in terms of analysis. But at the time, it was basically um, acute to chronic load ratios and training stress balance. I just didn't know. And I don't, maybe there wasn't even a term for it at that time. Maybe it became a term later on. I, I don't know, but I know what I was doing. And um, so uh, I, we, we were, we were uh, and this is an, another problem in hockey is a, a lot of times I think we overwork. You know, we overreached as, a, as an entire group. We overreached too much. When you're playing four games in seven nights or three games in seven nights, which is the average, you know, you've got three or four other days that you got to play with. Okay. And what do you do with those three or four other days? And you know, you know, Mike, you know, this really well. And all these other guys that have been in this league for a long, long time. No, they need those other three or four days to do work. They need to work on the power play and the penalty killing. They didn't like the way they broke out. They don't like their D zone coverage, you know, and, and I get it. And I totally get it. I understand it. But at the same point in time, um, this in hockey, we're battling um, glycogen depletion and dehydration on a daily basis at levels people don't even know or understand. I mean, it's just incredible. And if you're actually doing, um, you're evaluating them by taking blood and doing various different things every single day, you'd, most physiologists would be alarmed, you know, at what they're doing when they see this guy after you know, back to backs and then traveling back home and then, you know, a practice after that. And so I know I'm rambling, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to the point that I'm making with this is that, you know, because I had this information, I could go to the coach and say, look, you know, here's, here's the, here's the team average. Here's the guys that are on the inside of being overreaching or overtraining. And here's your guys that, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're fine. They're ready to go they're prepared and they, they can handle work. Um, and so the list obviously included all the guys that were getting 17 plus minutes and, you know, the top goalie. And so you got the, you know, the first line, half the second line, you got uh, the top four D they're, they're on that list. And he goes, Oh, you know, this great line. He goes, uh, how about, how, how about we do this? How about we uh, open up the Zamboni doors and, bring the ice cream truck out, put it right at center ice. And, and, you know, of course he's, he's fooling, but he's serious. Like he's, he's, he's saying, you know, you, you, you all you want to do is give these guys their cake and ice cream. You know, you want to give them time off. And I, so I, I, I wanted to go back. I said, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that coach? You know? And um, he goes, I can't even have a practice today. And I said, well, no, you might not be able to have the practice that you had kind of planned to have, but you know, there's a lot of ways. I'm not so certain I said it this way. Cause I don't think, you know, I don't think I'd take the chances of doing that, but you know, maybe we can do some stuff off the ice that, you know, allows them to recover a little bit, but at the same point in time, you get the work done that you need to have done. Like, you know, guys, we need to break out better, you know, here's and show the clip of how we didn't, break out very well and how their um turnovers you know turned into you know issues problems so you know that this is just a couple stories about 
the fact of the matter is, Mike, and, and to, to, to answer your question, it definitely helped me to be able to um, build a relationship with the coaches and educate the coach, teach, you know, coach the coach on, on things that were really critical in terms of our, um, our, our game performance. And uh, I'll take a step further even. Um, in 2000, I think it was 2006, it was either 2005 or 2006, we won the President's Cup. Um, we were going down the stretch. We, we were first overall in, in points. And uh, um, everybody wanted to win that President's Cup. There's no, no doubt about it. I can, I can remember the feeling and the sensation. That, but we also wanted to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, we, we, went, we went into a little bit of a tailspin, you know, at probably about 60 eight or 69 games in. And, uh, you know, so he wanted to get us back into what we were doing really well. And he wanted to do it through high intense practices, but our, our guys were tired, you know, and you know, we, we won the present presence cup. I think we lost in the first round. If we didn't lose in the first round, we lost in the second round and, and our guys were tired. I mean, we were, you know, so it, it, it really, it, the message here is that, you know, um, the prize is, is the cup, but it's also along the way, you know, keeping your players fresh is the, the way in which you're going to get there, you know, um, and not just fresh, but healthy, you know. 100% agree, uh, you know, on all those points. I mean, you know, you get to that point of the year and, I don't believe that you're going to learn or institute some sort of new tactic or, or drill. Like, you know, it, it's just polish at that point, you know, and, and, and recover from the grind that this is. And, and, you know, to add one quick caveat, Doug, like we play, we have not eight more weeks to the season. We play every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Wow. And that's so what, what, if you recall, like, um, March and April, well, I shouldn't say that February and March was 14, 15 games. So yep. pretty much every other day. Now we're yep. looking at like 17 to 18. So the yeah. it's, it's a, it's a higher average and it, maybe people don't think about it as much, but when you go with a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, you could be facing, you know, a, a, a four and six on the other end of it. So, so, you know, you're just not looking at the seven day period, but even what's behind it. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. The plus the, the, the plus four, three, two, one thing, you know, it's 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 huge. It's, it plays a huge role in this whole um, preparation thing and being, you know, um, uh, at your highest performance level. And, you know, one of the things that um, I thought thought of when when I was going through this with the coaches and trying to get them to understand what I did was um, I put together a little laminated card that, that uh, they could put in their sweat jackets and the laminated card basically had um, a limit as to what they could be at on um, uh, each day of the week. So, you know, it was a seven day card and you'll, you'll notice this in first beat, they, they instituted it on the bottom graph of, of uh, their um, of their their dashboard for uh, a uh, report, and it, it it was basically instituted on the fact that I said, "Hey, listen, we we need to know what what it is over the seven day period, 
Okay. And Mike, you make a great point because um, it, it was helpful for the seven days, but you know, where's the seven days start and where's the seven days end. But the fact of the matter is when I was doing this, I, I set it up so that they could actually see in using Trimp as that number, they could actually see what number they were. It would automate and capture that Trimp number, you know, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so, you know, if they were close to the number that they should not reach by Thursday, you know, by all rights, he shouldn't do anything except for play the game, you know, <laughs> because he's already, by, by Sunday, he's already going to be over what he, you know, averaged over the last, you know, two, three, four, five, you know, number of weeks before that. Um, so it was actually pretty cool. But what I did was I developed for that next offseason. I think this happened after we lost in the, either in the first or second round in, in 2006. I developed um, a slideshow for the coaches. And I, I went to the GM and I asked him, can I, can I do this slideshow with the coaching staff? You know, will you be okay with this? And so we sat down and I took him, I took him through the slideshow. And basically what it was, was just what we're talking about here, Mike, is that, you know, um, if we play, you know, three times a week or four times a week, you know, what are we doing with the other three days? Well, I gave them guidelines, things that they could choose to do on the first day, the second day and the third day. So, you know, you've got Monday and you've got Tuesday off and you've got Wednesday off and you got, you know, now you're playing, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Well, what are you going to do on Tuesday and Thursday? And I gave them options, you know, whether it was a three game a week or four game a week, I gave them options. Would it be a day off? Would it be a light practice? Would it be um, a mixed practice, meaning mixed, meaning half the guys were off the ice and half the guys were on the ice. What will we do? So I gave them a bunch of options to choose from um, based on um, the load that they were carrying through those practices. And so part of the guidelines with regard to this is it changed by month. So in um, October, in September and October, those guidelines were simple. You're practicing because you're not game fit yet. You're not quite there. Okay. Even if your team, you know, comes to camp in great physical shape, you're, you're not in what we call, you're not ready to go into, um, the back, into yeah. the back, you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it was different for September and October. It was different for November and December in January, February, March, and April. It basically was off. It was off because we're not going to change their level of fitness. All we're doing at that point in time is we're getting them ready for the next next game, and that's glycogen repletion, hydration. We don't want them sleep deprived. We want them rested. We want them sleeping longer with the circadian rhythms to be in a place that matches exactly what their game situation is. So we'll let them sleep later and bring them down to the rink and do some things with them that are helpful in terms of recovery. And then we'll allow them to be optimal on that, you know, second last two games uh, of the week, so to speak. It's important for our listeners too, like and coaches and young coaches to, to understand, like you, you, you have to know the game number one and, and, and know your environment, but, but be able to think outside the sets and reps, right? Like the schedule is important. Communicating with your, 
with your head coach and, and sport coach, frankly, it's just not a hockey thing, but you got to find a, a way to, to communicate with them and give them, give them as much information as you think they need, explain everything really well to help them make the decision. At the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm way beyond the fact of being insulted by a coach because he's not going to follow the plan that we map out much like you did right. schedule. Right. It's like, it's, it's his decision. You know, my biggest thing is that I have, I have to provide him with the best information possible so he can make his decision. I think that's what assistant coaches do, you know, and, and the same things goes, goes for management, you know, in, in terms of drafting someone and, and whatnot. Absolutely. And I, I, I totally agree with you on the fact that um, I'm not doing my job. If I don't say something, if I don't go in and, and protect, you know, um, whether, whether it would have been Dominic Hasek or, you know, um, it, it could have been a third line guy. If, if he's up against it, HRV wise, if he's up against it, you know, with regard to his, his balance, his training to recovery balance. Um, and we know it because we're looking at the numbers and we're saying, okay, well, you know, he's at 1.55, 1.6, 1.7, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's fatigued. He's tired. He's not, he's, he's at a higher risk for injury. And so, you know, ultimately uh, the bottom line is I'm not doing my job if I don't bring it to the attention uh, of the coach. And at the same point in time, um, I am in no position to say, you know, that he's, I have to respect his, his position of, you know, what this guy needs, you know, either on the field or on the ice. Um, if he feels like he, you know, he can't, he can't miss time, you know, we've got to have him out there. At least I've given him um, the information. Uh, and now he has to make that decision. We're, um, we're, we're, uh, we have to do our job though. That that's one thing I want to emphasize is that, you know, because we're knowledgeable in one specific area that they aren't, um, we have to bring that to their attention. Doug, I want to shift to getting more tactical on one of those specific strategies for enhancing recovery. I think hydration is something everyone says, yes, hydration is super important, but we don't actually discuss what are some simple tactical strategies to keeping our athletes hydrated. So in your experience, whether that's something like monitoring body weight or otherwise, what are uh, a few big rocks, a few good strategies that you would encourage uh, athletes to, to use or performance coaches to utilize to optimize hydration? Yeah. So, um, you know, the real, the real easy and basic way, obviously, is to use your body weight. Um, so, you know, whether you're, you're weighing them in, you know, part of the problem is, is that you've got to get them to understand, okay, you got to weigh in before practice and we want you to weigh in with just shorts on. Okay. So, uh, you know, take your t-shirt off. You're going to take, you're not going to have your socks and sneakers on. You're going to step on the scale in just your, your shorts. Okay. And when you finish practice and you weigh out, you know, we want to make sure you're in dry shorts, no t-shirt, nothing, no, nothing. Now we know that that what they've lost is fluid weight. Okay. And, you know, that's the first battle to that is get them to understand how important that is, you know, that they come back, you know, hydrated, you know, the guy that can't finish a game because he's um, you know, cramping or he's just lethargic, you know, that guy is an easy guy to touch, you know, um, he's cause he knows, you know, I had a goaltender 
and he, you know, he would cramp, he would cramp in the third period. He was a rookie. He was backing up and he'd get a game every once in a while. I realized that I had to give him an actual program to follow um, two days before. And then, you know, up to that game time so that he could actually complete the game. Um, so I, I always told the coach, I said, make sure you tell me, you know, when you plan to play him so I can give him, you know, this program to make sure that he's totally hydrated. Um, but back to, you know, the, the way in and way out part of it, that's, that's fairly easy. And also educating them on, and I, you know, this is, you know, old school too, and it, but it's still, it's still prevalent today is that first pee in the morning tells you an awful lot about where you are, you know? And I know that most of the time when we, you know, wake up in the morning, we're still kind of groggy and not really paying any attention. You pee and you flush it and it's done. And well, you know, you just, you just flush down some a very important color, you know? Um, so uh, another education thing was, listen, I know you're tired when you get it. When you go in there, uh, you get up and you, the first thing you do basically is you're going to pee. Look at that pee and tell me what color that is when you get here in the morning, because that's going to that's going to get. So, you know, I used to tell guys, you know, um, don't don't tell me the color of your pee when you get to the rink, because that's no good. That doesn't help me. I was, oh, it's clear. Yeah, but you're probably still dehydrated because you had, you know, had a water on your way in or two waters or you had this or that. We don't really know. So the second thing, <clears throat> excuse me, that we instituted was using USGs. And I think, you know, um, you know, getting that refractor and doing that, not a lot of fun. But at the same point in time, it really is pretty critical for um, the athletes to know where they are at, you know, before they go out to practice in football. <clears throat> excuse me. It's really pretty good because we're there early in the morning and practice isn't until two o'clock in the afternoon. We've got all day to get hydrated. In hockey, it's much, much different and very difficult because, you know, you get off a long road trip, you get home, you let them sleep in, you, you tell them that, you know, practice is at um, 11 o'clock and the stretch is at 10.15. Um, a lot of those guys are getting there at 10.15 and they're weighing in and they hardly have any time before they go on the ice at 11 o'clock to hydrate. And that's a big problem. That's a huge problem. Um, because like I said, hockey is always in a state of dehydration and glycogen depletion. And so for us to hydrate and replete is uh, uh, of the utmost importance. So the, the theory here is to be really good at the post part of it, especially in hockey. So right away, as soon as a practice or a game is finished, the rush is on for us to weigh out and then begin the process of regluking and rehydrating. What I did was I actually put together a package for every single player that based on their weight, you know, if they had 2% weight loss or they had, you know, uh, three pounds, four pounds, five pounds, six pounds weight loss, that they they had to take in this number of things. You had to take in two Pedialytes, you know, uh, Gatorade with a Gator Light, you know, um, uh, right stuff, you know, whatever you have in your grocery store. And 
you know, you would give them this and listen, you don't have to drink this all at one time. This is between now and uh, the next time you're weighing in, which is the next day. So Dave, the biggest thing here is that, you know, on both ends of this spectrum, it's what can you do, you know, post that, that uh, practice or game scenario and what, what have you given them for methodology to get those, those fluids back into the, to the, to the body. And then, you know, okay, what are we going to know beforehand as well? You know, uh, and, and it's, it's an ongoing battle. So you just have to, uh, you have to keep emphasizing it over and over and guys in hockey and they do in football too. So in general sports, uh, athletes in general, you know, we're so repetitive as coaches. We're so repetitive. And we say the same things over and over and over. And, um, you know, they get tired. It's monotonous. They get tired of hearing it. They, it actually goes in this one and out this one. You have to find better ways of, of doing this. Like, you know, um, you know, in the weight room, for example, you're, 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 you're squatting and you notice that the guys, you know, he's forward on his squat. He's, he's not on his heels. You know, I used to, I used to use the term, you know, a lot of time, engage your core, you know, well, yeah, you know, make sure you're, you're getting your core, you know, well, you know, I used to say, you know, get your gut, get your gut, you know, and that, that was another cue, another way of saying, you know, you got to engage that, you got to pull that in and, and drive, drive from the bottom, get out of the hole and drive up. Well, you do the same thing with hydration instead of saying, um, you know, you got to get your, get your fluids, make sure you, you make sure you get your fluids. I started saying green out, green out, because as part of the program that I had developed, which was weighing in and weighing out on a scale. So all they had to do is push the picture, step on the scale, and it would put their weight up there. And then they do it after practice. They push the picture, step on the scale, and it would tell them you lost four pounds. Um, and if they selected, you know, the different drinks to get the four pounds back that need, that met the, the uh, electrolytes, it would turn green. So as you selected the Pedialyte, you know, it would turn a different color and another Pedialyte. And then it would eventually they'd all get green, the potassium, the fluoride, the uh, sodium would all turn green. So then I started, you know, yelling as I, you know, I'd be in the weight room. I'd be stretching somebody on a table. You know, I would yell across to the scale, the guy weighing out. And I'd say, make sure you green out. And so it became a different cue to, um, get them to understand the importance of, of hydration. And, you know, I still do that today with, I find different ways of saying to different guys, um, you know, um, your USG today was this, and we, we, you know, we need you, you know, by two o'clock, you got to have this, and we're going to do it again at two o'clock, you know, or one thirty. Um, so I, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but Bottom line is, is that it's it's as much work as doing, you know, weight room stuff, stretching, and and the TSBs and the you know all the different things that we're expected and, and want to be able to provide for our players. Remember, you know, we're uh, we're doing this because we we're, we're helping. We want to help them be the best that they can possibly be. Um, and if we don't do this, then you know, really, we're falling short of. Of, of helping them and our team be the best that they can be. 
Doug, just from hearing these examples, I can tell that uh, you've done a really good job of finding simple things to monitor that you can actually then apply and use to educate the athletes, the coaches, uh, and just overall improve the performance. What are some things that you've seen in, in the tech and the monitoring world? Uh, Mike talked about you're always on like the early adopter side that you have seen to be the most helpful uh, over the years and maybe some other things that you've seen that maybe haven't been as, as helpful. Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I don't want to put in uh, names of, of uh, companies, you know, out there, but, you know, sleep is another um, thing that's, you know, actually pretty critical. And Mike, you can speak to this as much as I can, you know, um, we have a lot of guys um, at, you know, in, in the NFL, but I, I, I noticed it quite a bit in the, the NHL as well. They're, they're not really good sleepers and they, so sleep hygiene is, is really, really important. And I've tried a lot of different things to try to, um, you know, help the players with that. Um, and with regard to, again, education, you know, part of the thing is, is that they, they just really need to know, uh, pr pretty much understand um, the, the time frames that are involved with this. Like, for example, I mentioned earlier about circadian rhythms. Um, you know, our, our habitual practices play a big role in how well we, we, uh, we're prepared. So, um, you know, sleep and, and sleep habits and hygiene is pretty critical. Going to bed at the right time, um, gearing down, in other words, getting off the phones or the iPads or the, even the TVs, uh, games, you know, especially, you know, uh, younger guys that, that don't have families, they are, they are game, they're, they play games, you know, you know, with each other, but also, you know, just by themselves. Um, they put a lot of screen time in and the screen time can, can, can uh, work into working negatively against their sleep time, but educating them on REM sleep, on deep sleep, on light sleep, on the HRV uh, related to that, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty important stuff. And it's hard to cover everything that you have to cover. I mean, there are so many things uh, that you have to, to look at and to, so try to find, you know, something like, um, fatigue science aura ring. Um, there, there are a lot of different products that you can do that, um, tech wise provide you with some information. And, you know, if you can get the player to, um, to try it and then sit down with them and educate them on it. Um, I've, I've it's been very, very, very helpful for me to be able to, um, give them, specific recommendations and goals to reach with regard to, um, you know, sleep. Um, and uh, along the lines of um, the GPS systems like, you know, Catapult, Connexon, and uh, Zephyr, and Zebra, and, you know, there, there are many other ones. Um, you know, they, they, all athletes want feedback. They don't, they don't always want to sit down and talk to you about it. But they do want it. They want it. They, they'd like to have it come right over to their phone. And then when they're sitting and they, they can look at it, you know, I'll get a text sometimes, you know, two or three hours after practice. You know, how come my so-and-so isn't this? 
you know, so they look at it, they just, but they don't want to actually sit down. That's part, part of the problem with nutrition. Most of the time you have to sit down with them, you know? Um, so if you can find an app that gives them that feedback and they're looking at it, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different ones. There's lose it. And there's, um, um, geez, I can't remember the spark people and there's, um, note meal. Um, there's a lot of different uh, apps for nutrition. And, you know, again, you know, if it's going to them and they're seeing, you know, what they took in for um, calories, what their carbohydrates were, you know, what their fats were, what their protein was, and you've given them a recommendation of having, you know, 60, 60 to 62 percent of their total calories come from carbohydrate and they're at 58 or 57. And two days later, they come in. And they say, oh, I got no legs, you know, I'm dry. I, just, I feel like I'm in quicksand. Well, you know, I told you, you got to be at 60 to 65% of your total calories from carbohydrate. Your glycogen depleted. You're having a tough time because the energy substrate's not there. You know, your gas for your car, you know, is going to get you from here to there unless that's on empty. And that's where your legs are right now. Um, so, you know, essentially, no matter which one you're talking about, whether it's sleep, whether it's GPS information, meaning, you know, high speed running is a killer in football. Now it's a killer. It's the number one thing probably that leads to, you know, a guy being at a high risk for injury. So, you know, we really look at that high speed running yards and keep a really close eye. That's my job. I do it every single day. I look at that high speed running and I say, okay, well, you know, he's up against it or he's got plenty of room. Um, and, but he gets that feedback as well. He gets that information. I, I provide that to him through our, um, athlete management system. So I'm educating him on it. He knows, he knows everything I know. And so when I say something to him, if he doesn't know it, I can say to him, why, why don't you go on and look at that and know, you know, that you're, you're only take, you're taking in 40% fat in your last three meals. You think that's going to help you? You know, you, we're we're trying to get energy, and you're 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 higher in percent fat than you are in carbohydrate. Most of your most of your meal is coming in fat percent fat uh, fat as opposed to carbohydrate and protein. The two things you need the most. We got to stay anabolic, and we got to have energy. You know, so it it actually um, helps you to have conversation and to 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 uh, build the relationship around, to have all this technology is a driving force to be able to educate, motivate, and um, uh, hold them accountable. You know, those are the three things that probably um, most strength coaches would say, okay, what are my markers? You know, what are my markers? Well, I have to, I have to educate them, I have to motivate them, and I have to make them, uh, hold them accountable. You know, and if I don't do those things, the chances are I'm probably not going to have much impact on them. That's great stuff. Those are many, many gems that people are going to be able to pull out of this. Um, as Dougie, as you shift gears a little bit to, you know, mentorship and, and all the years you've been in the business and, and how many great colleagues you've had early on in your career and how many interns, assistants you've had over, over time share with us a little bit of kind of the big rocks or the, the big, the big best qualities a, a, a young professional needs to have to, 
to continue to climb the ladder and be successful in, in, the, in this business? Sure. Well, first I, first I should start by saying, you know, my, my closest friend, Rusty, was a real impact on me. I've learned a lot, a lot from him and I've, you know, um, still do. I mean, we have this close relationship, but we, we talk physiology all the time. I and mean, when we're, that's what we do every single day. We talk about the needs of our players, but we also talk about our education, what we learn in Springfield is a big part of that. Um, getting my master's in, in exercise physiology um, was, a, was a key component of that. He, he, he told me after I finished uh, undergraduate, you know, you should get your master's in physiology. He was doing it at the time, you know, um, but you know, Jack Latherwick was a, another guy that I, I just, you know, I learned, I only met him one time, but I learned a ton early, you know, back in the, back in the eighties, you know, the sort of things with overspeed training and different things like that, which, uh, and what an impact he had. Um, uh, but even the, even the, like I, I sat my first uh, 10 years in the league, I sat next to Eddie Johnston, who was uh, the GM for the, penguins and then i went with them to hartford um and i sat next to him every game and i learned the game through him like it was amazing the things that he would bring to the table and get me to understand about the limitations and the strengths of different players and i i remember thinking you know what what better education could you get than to have somebody like that who you know played you know in the game but also was a coach and then a gm and um, and he was willing to every day, you know, teach me something, you know, that I could bring to the table. Um, and, and then the last guy was Darcy Regeer. What a, you know, what a friend, what a great friend. But, you know, on top of that, you know, oh, what, a, uh, what a leader in, in, in sport, you know, even though it was just hockey. You know, the things that um, Darcy talked about many years ago that I worked with him, you know, a lot of those things Frank Reich is saying today, you know, it's, it's, he, he was, you know, in a lot of ways he was ahead of his time and a lot of people don't really understand how, how good a general manager he was. And one of the reasons why he was such a good general manager, in my opinion, was that uh, in that role, what you want to do is you want to make, you want to make everybody as good as they can be. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to bring that out of you. He would challenge you in different ways so that you would become the best that you could be um, in the position you were in. So he did it with the head coach. He did it with the assistants. He did it with the player development guys. He did it with the scouts. He did it with the sports performance staff and the trainers. You know, he'd challenge you and he'd, he'd ask you hard questions. And then he would sit with you for you know, a half hour, almost every day, he would be in my office and he would be asking me things about players. And then he would be giving me tidbits of information that, you know, maybe would be helpful for me to make myself a better strength coach, but also make him a better player, the, the, guy, the player he might be talking about. But then as an organization, we're growing as well. And so I only say that to answer your question, Mike, and that is, you know, how do you do it? Well, you get your education. That's your, that's the bottom line. You can't go anywhere without that. And then you, you surround yourself as best you can with people, you know, and a lot of times it's just dumb luck. You know, it's, it's a blessing, you know, 
it's, you know, sometimes you're, you're, you're blessed with being around some incredibly good people and very talented people. Um, but you, you become a sponge. You just learn as much as you possibly can. You ask questions and you strive to understand, you know, their side of what they're trying to, to get out of it. And at the same time, grow yourself. Um, you know, I, I used to read, um, and, I, and I, I shouldn't say this, but it, it, it's a fact. I'm, you know, I'm almost 63. You know, I used to read medicine, science, and sports and exercise cover to cover. I used to read sports medicine, you know, cover to cover. I used to read national strength and conditioning coach cover to cover, you know, and I don't do that as much anymore. I pick and choose and I, I look a little bit more at it. But I still always ask questions. We have young strength coach on our staff, and I learn as much from him as I do that I hope that I'm teaching him. Um, he's got the latest education. You know, he's also young enough to hear, you know, more things from the players than they share with me because I am an older. I'm like a, I'm like a grandpa now to some of these guys. It's, a, it's kind of stupid, but, you know, um, I can part. I can give them part of what, you know, is, is really helpful. Um, and I, I still have, they call me Dougie Fresh. You know, they, you know, they, they, we, we have a good relationship. It's good, but it's not, it wouldn't be the same as when I was, you know, 22 and 24 and 25 years old and they were the same age. Um, so, you know, I depend on him to help me learn, you know, some things. And it's not just, it's about the players, but it's also about, you know, what, what educationally have they've been brought to the table that I'm missing now, you know, um, but bo bottom line is, is that, um, if you can, if you can put yourself in the middle of, you know, a lot of, um, people who have, um, um, experience, wisdom, um, knowledge and, uh, a love for what they do, then I think you'll have success. I think that's, those are the things that will, will provide you with the ability to have success. I love that. And especially I love how you, you look at your network and, and friendships and colleagues as a blessing. Cause I, I, I always say, you know, I probably, I wouldn't be here for all the great experiences and mentors and, and blessings of opportunities I've had, you know, to, to sort of, so to speak, build that resume to get, to get here, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're blessed, Mike. We're blessed to been, been able to do what we do. You've been in it a long, long time. And um, you know, it's difficult. We, we live a tough life. This is not an easy life. People think it's easy. It's because it, because it is fun and we are in the limelight. This, there's no doubt about that. I like to, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. I am, I'm not an extrovert. And I, you know, when I go places, I don't, I'm not a standout kind of guy. I don't, I'm, I don't have uh, I don't have humor like some people do, but I, I like to have fun. And, but I, you know, I think as long as you're honest and true to who you are, then you can have success, but we are blessed. I think that is perfect place to wrap up. Uh, Coach Doug, any final thoughts? Ask of the audience, places where people can find you. Uh, no, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, obviously I'm with the, the Indianapolis Colts. And I love anybody who wants to reach out, you can get me through through the Colts. And, uh, you know, I just, it's really great to see you again, Mike and, and Dave. And I thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the, the opportunity to, to share, you know, just share and be part of the growth of, of our, uh, of our uh, business. 
Thank yes. you for coming on. It's been great. You've, you, in many ways, and you may not know this, were, were a mentor to me early on in my career. And um, it's great to, to obviously bring you back and have you share exactly what you said, share with uh, all the listeners who are young and wanting to get in hockey. And I tell them all the time, like, hey, pick something else. But, you know, <laughs> with great experiences like you've had and how you've carved a legacy in this league amongst us strength coaches has been tremendous. So I'm glad you can come on and share. Thanks, Mike. Love you, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And once again, thank you, Coach McKenney, for hopping on the podcast with Mike and I today. As always, you can find links to everything, show notes, all things discussed at the official website of SCAF, ProHockeyStrength.com. If you're enjoying the alumni series where Mike and I interview a former NHL strength coach every episode, then please leave us a review on Spotify, on iTunes, on wherever you're currently listening to this podcast. It really helps us out. And don't forget to check out the site. You can find free webinars, lots of articles, obviously over 100 podcast episodes. So check out ProHockeyStrength.com.